Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, hello, Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. Still hope you're enjoying the Happy New Year. It is January. I believe you can say Happy New Year all the way through January, and we've got 31 days. Hey, thanks for uh, joining me this Saturday night. I've uh, got some super great guests here. As always, and if you ever miss a show, we've got a super great website, too. It's called happyhourradio.net. Uh, we are approaching our fourth anniversary. Who can believe we're four years ago? It's like college. <laughs> four years down the drain. Uh, but we've got them taped and recorded for your listening pleasure. Of course, we talk about all the best of food, wine, spirits, cocktails, uh, beers, cider, chefs, events, and education from around the world. And today I've got uh, two cool, cool stories. Uh, the first is... Um, Kurt Beecher Dammeyer. He is the founder of Beecher's Cheese, and he is uh, part of this this food summit, this symposium that's taking place uh, on February 6th, and it's called the uh, the Sound Food Uprising Summit. I'm really curious about that. And then later in the show, we have Joe Basaka, who's the founder of Elysian Brewing, and he's paired up with Fred Hutch, and they're going to talk about all the cool stuff. Um, plus, we'll taste some of the beers and chat about how they're giving back to our local community. So uh, without further ado, Kurt Beecher Demeyer, welcome to Happy Hour. Nice to be here. Yes, finally. Uh, I'm happy. I'm happy too. And it's only, and we haven't even started drinking yet. I'm tasting, or that anyone you know. knows on the other end of the radio. That's right. Of course, unless you stop by Esquin early and have some tequila and then start. Um, anyway, another story. Uh, so we all know Beecher's Cheese. You're the guy, and Beecher is your middle name, Kurt Beecher Demeyer. Tell us about uh, how you got into this biz. You know, everyone always asks me, how did you get into the cheese business? And the short answer to that is, I just decided to do it. There really isn't any... The, the catalyst, actually, I'd been thinking about it, and I'd been doing some research, and the actual catalyst was walking through Pike Place Market in December of 2002 and seeing the space that Beecher's now occupies empty and available. And I actually kind of freaked out. I had a, I had been shopping for a big dinner, big Christmas dinner party, and I saw this space, and it just hit me. Oh, my God, this is it. I just dropped my groceries, and I walked around that building for about 15 minutes on the outside. And I walked back to my office, and I said, this is it. This is where we're doing it. And this, that's the day Beecher's was born. And it's next to the bakery. What's the name, famous bakery there that's been for forever? I can't remember. Le Peignet. Le Peignet, of course. What was uh, housing that building, or what was housing the building prior to your discovery? It was called the Seattle Garden Center, oh, and it was yeah, operated yeah. by Molbacks. Yes, I remember now. It turns out people would rather buy cheese than plants at the market. <laughs> Depends on what plants these days, I guess. Yeah, uh, I guess. May have Maybe they were only a couple decades too uh, early. Yeah, well, you think it's a souvenir. Bring your own little uh, sapling home from wherever you're going back to. So uh, you must have liked cheese prior to this because you didn't say, oh, this would be a great spot for cheese, did you? Because you could have said beer at the time because we had Pike Brewery going in there or that was already there. You know, I was in the beer business at the time. I was uh, on the board of Pyramid Breweries. And, yes. Uh, Kalama, Washington. They Well, they were not in Kalama then. Right. Uh, I didn't get involved until they were here in Seattle. Uh, so I was already in the beer business, and I kind of had an idea of what, what uh, artisan categories were like. And I had this inkling that cheese was going to be a good category. And I also, at the time, you know, I knew that Seattleites would embrace the local product. And if you'd asked anybody in Seattle in 2002 
what's the local cheese? They would have said Tillamook. Tillamook. Which is, you know, not awesome cheese, and it's in Southern Oregon. Yeah. So it's not even very local. I mean, it, in some ways, it used to be the Beechers. It was, it was, it was a Beechers in 1980 when they were still making cheese in open vats by hand. And then as they grew to millions and millions and millions of pounds, they switched to the automated cheese-making machines, and the cheese isn't the same. So there was an opening for us. Can you buy those, an automated cheese-making machine? That'd be kind of fun, right? I know oh, my they God. Got the little... They have giant Cheddar Master machines that are like a block long. Really? That um, about three people run them, and they produce millions of, cheese, of pounds of cheese a week. So there's no strikes for cows then, right? We don't have to worry about that? <laughs> Not no, I mean, not really. <laughs> well, I like it. So you uh, you actually, what was your first vintage then for cheese? Two thousand three, November seventeenth, two thousand three. We made our very first vat of cheese, which we promptly threw away because it didn't go well. No. The second. Vat How about of the cheese, curds and whey? Did you keep those? Well, the curds and whey are what makes cheese, right? I mean, <laughs> you put you put in milk, you add heat, and you add bacteria, and the uh, the proteins and the fat clumped together into curds and all the rest of it is whey and the math is of 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 100 pounds of milk you get 10 pounds of curds and 90 pounds of whey oh and so then they take that whey that liquid whey and dehydrate it and then make whey protein in big giant companies like tillamook not for us no for us half of our whey gets shipped back to the farms and the and the cows it gets sprayed on their feed and they the cows basically eat it okay wow that's a circle the cycle of life almost yeah pretty neat i like it um so you now have how many cheeses out how many different products or expressions of uh, this dairy product do you have i would probably have about 15 different flavors maybe maybe 18 now is the little triangle actually a trademarked or part of your uh sales uh marketing strategy the triangle of cheese, the wedge, or what do we, we call like it? We like that Pyramid? triangle. We like that triangle shape. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like it. And I've, and I've uh, there's the one with the black pepper. There's also one with habanero, and there's another one with some like is it truffle. No, no jerk spice. That's what jerk it is. Spice, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm. And then there's one with pepper. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then we have a couple of others, different different varieties of cloth bound cheeses. Hmm. Right, right on. And did, did you get your hands dirty that day? Were you like? Making the cheese, the churning the, the paddles or whatever? You know, it was about eight, nine months from deciding to make cheese to actually we made cheese. And it, early on, I kind of imagined, because I'm a chef, my background is a, is a chef, and early on, I imagined I would be the cheesemaker, and I went to a three-day, what they called short course at WSU to learn how to make cheese. And at the at the lunch break of the first day, I decided I'd learned all I was going to, which was I wasn't going to make the cheese. And so we went out and how to make cheese in a can, though I thought that's what Wazoo does. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's 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 a very technical biology experiment to make cheese, and so it isn't something you can that just won't casually, kill somebody. Well, that won't kill somebody and uh, tastes very good every time, mm-hmm. right? Consumers like artisan products, but they don't want those artisan products to vary. They don't really want you to be an artisan when you're making artisan products. Well, they they like what they like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, you've Now, how did this whole Sound Food Uprising Summit uh, become uh, an idea? So, from the very beginning, I wanted Beecher's to stand for something. You know, Beecher is my middle name, and I felt very personal about this company. And so, I decided from the very beginning that 1% of all of our sales would go to educate kids essentially about the evils of food additives. 
which uh, is how we how we styled it then. And we had a, a pretty, we probably had a kind of an edgy pure food um, philosophy at that point. It seemed to, it was probably pretty crazy the way we thought about food, which today is pretty mainstream, right? And so as time has gone on, our kind of kooky thoughts have become more the main. And so over time, we, we, we used this 1% and we created this piece of curriculum for fourth grade kids. And it's two and a half hours. And in that two and a half hours, we go take over the classroom. We send our teachers, our instructors out there. Features teachers. Yeah. The pure food kids okay. is what we call it. And we, we teach the kids four things. The first one is we show them that food marketers lie to them about oh, what the food no, is. Oh, no Santa Claus. Too. It's kind of a no Santa Claus moment, really. It is. And we show them how the front of the package doesn't really indicate what's really in there. That and, little farmhouse is not real? Yeah, and that things that have health claims are likely the things that are least healthy. <laughs> uh, then we show them, the second part is we show them how to use the back of the package and the labeling to figure out what's really in that. We mm. style it becoming food de- detectives. Mm. Thirdly, we, show, we, we educate them what those funny sounding names are. And we reveal that those things are not in the food for them. They're in there for the manufacturers. Uh. And then lastly, the kids all work together and cook a vegetarian chili out of things that they would have never eaten on their own, like stewed tomatoes and yellow peppers and cilantro. And the magic of working together as a team and smelling this great chili cooking in the back of the room, they all eat it. And it's really an aha moment. Our base strategy is, is to use these kids that are smart but still cute fourth graders right yeah they haven't first graders aren't quite yet. aren't quite smart enough to understand the whole thing and eighth graders are way too cool yeah. to to listen i like cheetos right exactly <laughs> so we our strategy was to use the fourth graders as the trojan horse into the home to get the family to change the way they eat zuckerberg followed you i think that's what happened he's doing that with facebook yeah <laughs> So, flash forward, um, 12 years later, we've had 120,000 kids go through this program in Seattle and in New York City, where we also operate. And the world has changed. CPGs, food manufacturers, are now obviously responding to changes in demand quickly. They are. That's true. And um, Beecher's has grown. So, the 1%, which was... A, a you know a few thousand dollars in the first year, is now a, a lot of money. Beecher's has been... I hate to I kind of admit it on air, but Beecher's has grown a lot, and we're, we now have a lot more money to spend on this. So we came up with the idea for the Sound Food Uprising, and we said, okay, what if we took the, what we've learned with the kids' class and applied it, came up with an adult version of this, and then taught this class at scale in the Puget Sound area where we can get a meaningful percentage of the populace through our education. And so our goal is to teach a million people over the next decade our 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 philosophies our our and now we style it as avoiding the unholy trinity of overly processed heavily sugared additive laden foods that are killing us slowly right we're like it's it's analogous to the tobacco situation where it was killing us for decades or drinking out of lead mugs or drinking out of lead mugs yeah um and so we're going to do. We're going to get a million people through our workshops in the next decade, and of those million people, we think we can create real substantive change in the buying behavior of three hundred thousand of them 
And that, that change in the buying behavior of 300,000 people will revolutionize the supply of food in the Puget Sound area. I like it. That's quite the vision, and uh, you have some background on it. Speaking with Kurt Demmeyer, who's the, what is your title? But people like to call me the big cheese. The big cheese. Yeah. All right, the big hunk. <laughs> I love it. So we have the Sound Food Uprising Summit taking place February 6th at Fremont Studios. Great little place. Is this open to the public? It is, and it's where we're announcing our, we're bringing together all the stakeholders of the food change movement in the Puget Sound area. Educators, government, culinary people, chefs. And we're going to announce our plan and really invite everyone to fold in with us on this goal of changing the food system. Well, I hope it works. I'm excited to attend, and I see that it's a, it's an all-day event, right? So it starts like 9 a.m. and finishes at 4? Yeah, it's like 9 to 3.30, and there, and there will be cocktails. You might want to come. <laughs> of course I want to come. Well, I want to check it out because uh, I'm a long time. I've been here since 73. I used to go to Pike Place Market, and I've been picking strawberries and, and doing all that stuff. And uh, I think it's important for us to, to, to remain local as fast as we're growing. We need to, to be sure that we have the, the food systems, whether the, those farms are being taken over by, by housing developments. Cause that's one of the challenges, too. I'm sure we'll talk about. So how do you get tickets? I think you go to soundfooduprising.org. Sound, S-O-U-N-D, fooduprising.org. Okay, it's February 6th. It's at the Fremont Studios in Fremont, of course, the center of the universe. And uh, what's the ticket cost? 50 bucks? It's $50. Bucks? All right. And for that $50, you get uh, breakfast from Beecher's and uh, lunch and appetizers from the butcher's table. So I think you're going to get... You're yeah, get you've, value above the information. And you've got, uh, looks like a cocktail reception with a, a music trio. Um, it sounds really fun. Uh, the Sound Food Uprising Summit. It's soundfooduprising.org. And uh, the tickets are February 6th. I believe that's a Tuesday. It is yes. a Tuesday. And it's over at Fremont Studios. Wow. Uh, Kurt Beecher, Demeyer, what a treat. Finally get a chance to meet you and hear about the story. And congratulations on uh, making a difference in our community as far as food goes. Well, thank you very much. Awesome. Hey, folks, uh, come on, check it out. If you are interested at all about what's happening, and, of course, we've got Whole Foods, we've got PCC and Trader Joe's, and, and they're doing little things. But it's nice to see who's in our backyard taking care of us on this long journey of, well, where we're all going to end up someplace is fertilizer. But uh, we got a great guest coming up. It's uh, Joe Basaka with Lesion Brewing right next on Happy Hour Radio. Start your day the right way. John Carlson, live and local, 6 to 10 a.m. Talk Radio 570 KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, welcome back. Time for round two. Hope you got something tasty in your glass or heading someplace delicious. Perhaps you're even uh, trying some Peacher's Cheese as an hors d'oeuvre. I've got uh, a cool cat in studio. His name is Joe Basaka. He's the one of the founders, or perhaps the founder, of Elysian Brewing. And the Elysian Fields go back to uh, the days of Caesar Augustus and uh, how we all dream of being in the Elysian Fields. And here we go. we got some beers to match. Uh, Joe Basaka, hey, welcome to Happy Hour. Thanks. You actually knew the history of the name. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> and I can't get good cell reception here either, so I had to do my own studying. Um, pretty neat. Elysian Fields, yeah. you're the guy? Uh, one of one of three. So it was myself, Dave Bueller, and uh, Dick uh, Camp Cantwell. Yes, all right. Yeah. I had the pleasure of having Dick on about uh, two years ago, chatting about 
Elysian. And of course, uh, Dave, Dave Bueller, who is yeah. a musician and quite a gregarious gentleman. Yes, yes. That great pumpkin beer festival you you do down at uh, uh, CenturyLink Field or the parking lot anyway. Yeah, I actually moved uh, it to Seattle Center last year, so it's that's, oh, it's, right. that's yes. its new home now. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah, that uh, that's probably better. Uh, nice space. Uh, very nice. Well, let's talk about Elysian. Uh, how'd you get started? Whose idea was it? And are you having a beer with uh, Dick and Dave? It's, it's actually funny. I was uh, moved out here from uh, New York area. I knew Dick through his uh, uh, wife at that time, Chio Ishikawa, who's uh, one of the curators at Seattle Art Museum. She knew my brother who worked at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. And so when I moved out here, Dick was one of the only people that I, that I knew. I had homebrewed in college. What year is this? I moved out in uh, 1990. Okay. Good so, year. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, oh, it was awesome. Good year little games. Music Great summer. And everything hitting. Awesome. And that windstorm that happened, I think it was like 90 or 91. That was 91, November. Yeah, the pres- President Dave Windstorm was huge. Uh, I was living on Alki Beach. Oh, yeah. And I had met uh, a couple of guys shooting pool at the Alki Tavern. The Alki Tavern. It was Todd Carden from Elliott Bay Brewery and Scott Holmes from Silver City Brewery. And so Todd and I were homebrewing together and kicking some beers around. I was getting yeast from Dick, and we were talking, and it was, you know, we were just having fun, but started talking about this brewery. And so Dick and I started to write down some notes and kind of gel some things together. <laughs> they cocktail napkins at the at the Barely. Tavern. <laughs> no, it was sort of just right the on coaster. the wood. Right on, right on the wood. Right? And... Um, uh, Todd, like maybe was going to do it with us, maybe he was not, and he got a little cold feet and wound up opening up Elliott Bay like a year later. And then Silver City, Scott was a friend, and he was down around there too. Todd was brewing with him, and then they wound up opening up like ninety seven, ninety eight, also. So it was it was kind of cool that like that early stage of uh, Alki Beach all blossomed into these three different uh, you know you know breweries. And uh, that was my hood. I had an apartment cool. down across from the lighthouse in those awesome, days. Awesome, awesome area. Was fantastic. Such, area. such the time. Time. We'll yeah. Bring them back, boy. We're now we're waxing poetic about days uh, gone by. Well, I was a big home brewer too, right about that time, oh, ninety two, cool. ninety three, ninety four, yeah. ninety five, and uh, I made so many batches of beer. Now, look, I, I've I've said this to a lot of brewers, and I want someone to handle it. Sure, uh, someone's got to make the biggest beer possible, <laughs> and I made a beer called Dark Diggler. Right. <laughs> <laughs> What was uh, how uh, big it was, was huge? This beer? It was huge beer. Yeah. So um, I'm waiting for someone to pick that up. I think that'd be a big. Yeah, that would be seller. awesome. I got to look at the trade name on that. See if anybody else is using it right now. That <laughs> one's kind of so. close. I haven't seen it. Anyway, um, so the the first beer that was brewed from Elysian was what? ESB. Why ESB. ESB? Why is ESB? That was the first beer that we dropped, and um, still brew it to this day. Uh, was we, Paul Shipman involved with that at all? No, that okay. was our own little twist on right. it. And I, actually, that was more from uh, Big Time Beer oh, that yeah. they do over University there called, uh, called, called Rainfest that they do like every year, every other year or so. Uh, and RESB was sort of modeled from that forward. Pretty cool. Right? I did advertising in college. And actually, yeah. when I was there back in the 80s, I worked with Big Time Brewery. And we had, uh, yeah. yeah, we did some fun stuff, um, you know, trying to market to college kids. I think it was $2 pints. <laughs> <laughs> that seemed to work. That's, uh, it's usually the math to make it work for college kids. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> make it uh, so fun. So how many beers have been brewed since that oh. first day? And when was the first day? 98? Uh, 96? 90, 96. Uh, excuse me. 96 was the first beer. May, right. May 10th was when we opened. Uh, we did ESB, IPA. We had uh, Dragon's Tooth Stout. And uh, I think we just had those three. We may have had another, may have had like one more if I can't, can't remember what that was. All right. 
Um, you don't have a bottle like your old fraternity room where you got a bottle of every beer we on We didn't no. bottle back then. Oh, yeah, right. We didn't even, yeah, we just did some ke- uh, kegs out in the trade, but it was, you know, just what you can get at the pub. Well, really cool. Hey, folks, speaking with Joe Basaka, who is one of the three founders, the triumvirate uh, behind Elysium Brewing back in 1996. Now, I asked this question to a lot of brewers, and I haven't got a definitive answer. Um, why the 22-ounce bottle for beers? So at first for us, 22-ounce um, was easy. You know, they were they were a, out there. It was a they standard were, they bottle were available. For it was it was a standard. And grocery stores to get shelf presents, um, a six pack takes up a lot of room. That twenty two is nice and narrow. And grocery stores always measure uh, net revenue per squ- uh, square inch, so a twenty two takes up less space. So the pressure is a little less on it, I think. Right. Mm, okay. So it was a little bit easier to get into, and then also they had limited amount of shelf space, and so for them to displace something out of that cold storage, you know, it was kind of tough. Uh, it was a little easier sell for us. Um, and, it, and those bottling lines were available in the marketplace. Um, the other thing was your, your margin on uh, 22s was a little better because you didn't have the extra cost of the carrier the and all the and other the, things. The too, case right? and so, all that. yeah, there were, there, were, right. there were a few reasons. Okay, and now there is a. Uh, it seems to be a, a trend to go small. I think I've seen some small beers coming back. Maybe it's I'm thinking Little Kings or something. Smaller bottles. Uh, I, I think at this point, um, there's a lot of beer on the shelf. There's a lot of beer. There's on the a shelf. lot of beer. And on a lot the of shelf. cider coming out too. Huge amount. Right. So uh, the the attention span is short. Right. And okay. so you have to draw attention to your brand. And sometimes those uh, other bottle shapes or sizes kind of drop you know, people into them a little, a little bit better. Um, and then also, yeah, you got a 9%, 12% beer. I'm looking for those. Yeah. Can you write me a list? I don't think I want a 22, you know? <laughs> uh, or maybe you do. Yeah, six or eight. <laughs> and, and, and then there's even some cool sizes, like there's the standard 12 ounce and the 22, and there's a 500 milliliter bottle that's in the middle that looks kind of cool. Yeah. So it's a little bit more than a 12, but not as not as much. Well, you first noticed that, too, when you think about the beer industry. Uh, I noticed that Stella Artois and Heineken, the, the Europeans started cutting out some of the, the, the volume in their in their bottles. It became 11.2 ounce. Yeah, the, the uh, 11.2 11, cans. or something? Or? Uh, I think that was more met, yeah, metric conversion lent itself to that. Yeah, but you know, it worked out for them, too, because we're still getting, you know, it worked out see, for them. 0.8 ounce times 6, and that's, that's, a, that's a third of a beer. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it! Uh, well, I see you brought some beers, and I'm actually getting kind of uh, thirsty. Let's let's, uh, let's do some some sound effects. Here we go. Sure. So the, here we go. What do you got? Uh, this is a split shot. Plug, so this plug, is our uh, plug, seasonal plug, beer plug, that we do. Plug, I'll do plug. the pour. I'll do the pour. Doesn't that sound good? That does. But I gotta go to the bathroom. I'll be yeah. back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get one too. No, I don't. I'm sticking around. So this is a uh, a lacto milk stout with uh, Stumptown cold pressed coffee. Lacto milk. What does that mean? So it's uh, lactose sugar, actually in the in the boil. Really? That, that we add, and that gives it a little bit of mouthfeel. It makes it a little creamy, a little smooth. Uh, the Stumptown cold pressed coffee is that sweetness. You know, it's not the bitter see this. Coffee. I'll toast you. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. Tink. Lactose gives it that mouthfeel, that little cream creaminess mm-hmm. in there, too. Reminds me of the oatmeal stout and the way that sort yeah. of adjunct. Much lighter. Mm, yes. Much lighter. Like uh, the Dragon's Tooth is a big beer. 
that thing's huge. Um, this is a lot more refreshing and lighter, and you can actually drink more of it. This is really tasty. Uh, and yeah. I'm always um, reticent to jump into a coffee stout or mm -hmm. something because I, I don't find it to be balanced enough. And I think here you've got um, – there's a sweetness that uh, it comes from that. It's milk sugar. Yeah. Milk sugar, mm -hmm. but also – the bitterness from the coffee is so smooth. That's a cold press thing. So Dwayne, who founded Stumptown Coffee, was the roaster at Lighthouse Coffee in the early 90s. And Dick, Dave, and I were writing our business plan at Lighthouse Coffee. Oh, fine. And so we were hanging out there having coffee, and Dwayne was a roaster. Ed's the guy that owns it. And so we were just going back and forth. Right? Wow. And, and, so, and then when Dwayne opened up uh, Stump, Stumptown, they were doing the cold pressed. And that is not as bitter. It's that sweet coffee. Uh, you know, more, uh, you know, floral taste. Yeah, um, so, amazing. When was this beer actually produced? What was the first iteration? Um, we had done several uh, coffee beers, you know, in the past. And then this one came up uh, sort of, I guess this was like 2013, I think, when we first did it. Right on. Yeah. So split shot, I see. So mm -hmm. you got the uh, the crema on the label we there. Got the crema on the label. Is that an actual crema, or is someone? Uh, we took a photo of a uh, fiore, and then our graphic designer sort of overlaid it, traced it out, and made it look a little more. Uh, it looks good. Wrong. Now, what's the alcohol here? Five six. Five six. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Yep. Chakalaka. Nice yep. um, you know what I've noticed? I, in fact, I was just at my local um, alcohol purveyor mm -hmm. <laughs> the other day. I heard that. And uh, what I bought was one of my favorite beers. It was the Bifrost. Mm -hmm. And um, it's funny because the, I know the, the steward there, he goes, hey, I saw you looking at the alcohol percentage. And I go, yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't taste as strong as it is. No, but it's that's what's great about it. So you're not knocking yourself out. It's not one of those skull splitters mm -hmm. like back in the day. We uh, not, no, no. <laughs> so fun. Well, uh, I know we've got uh, some more beer to taste. Obviously, sure. we're going to sip on this. But we also have a cool story about how you're giving back. Sure. And I want to talk about um, this great uh <clears throat> Well, just like we had um, with uh, Kurt Dammeyer. He's uh, giving back to the community, and so mm -hmm. is Elysian Brewing. So, hey, folks, stick around. I got Joe Pasaka, one of the co-founders, tri-founders of Elysian Brewing, right here on Happy Hour Radio. A Northwest Original, Lars Larson, live weekdays noon to 3, Talk Radio 570, KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle, uh, welcome back. Time for round three. And uh, I got, uh, well, I've got about three ounces of beer in this glass. <laughs> we have more. <laughs> we have more, which is a good thing. And I've got Joe Basaka, who's one of the three co-founders of Elysian Brewing, along with Dick Cantwell and Dave Buescher. Um He is now, uh, well, you're giving back to the community. Let's talk about where this idea came. You guys became successful. Congratulations. Obviously, Elysian Brewing is, was both on tap and on-premise product for the longest time until so you actually got into the stores with 22 ounces and then, of course, the six-pack, which is which I see lots of Elysian Brewing. Your Space Test IPA is, is you got the fun labels and things like that. When you got successful, you wanted to get back to the community. How did this sort of uh, come about? What's the genesis of that? I think with a lot of it was always our idea that, um, you know, you can spend money placing ads, you know, in papers and those things. Um, or you could do some work with some, you know, you know, you know, charities that are making, you know, you know, difference here. So, you know, started out, we didn't have any money, but we had beer. So we would donate beer 
uh, you know, blitter, blitter There's an right. old saying that that, yeah. that uh, beer will get you through times of mo- no money better than no money will get you through times of no beer. Yeah, absolutely. Like <laughs> Screwed that up. And uh, you know, a lot of a lot of these groups, you know, we would uh, donate the beer and then they would sell the beer and raise cash with it, right? So it would it would it would, it would work well. Uh, Blitteride was our first foray into Fred Hutch. And uh, donated beer for it. Let's you talk know, about Obliterate. What year is this? Is this five years ago or is this? It's about five, six years yeah, ago. Yeah, all right. Because it's a relatively new event for, um, I know that the, the STP yeah. was a huge deal here. Seattle, Tacoma, or Seattle to Portland. <laughs> yeah. Seattle, Tacoma, Portland, I guess you could say. But, um, yeah, my high school friend Mark Granter was working on that. And I think Absolutely. he, he Worked with the, him a lot. Yeah. yeah. So Obliteride, which was cool because it's about obliter- obliterating cancer and it's a riding your bike deal. Totally. Tell us about the, the Obliteride event itself. So we uh, actually made biking shirts. We sponsored our own team. Half of our, you know, most of our staff were actually riding in the uh, race too. And then Elysian was the, the featured beer at the end of the race. We would donate the beer and then our team would try to raise money. You know, and so you know, it started out like small. the old days where you get someone to sponsor you per mile or something. Yeah, right? totally, totally. Uh-huh. Like in you know, gram- the grammar school, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Going to walk around that. Track Some of 100. us raised more money than others because we weren't able to ride as far. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and then, you know, that sort of blossomed, and we looked at some other things that they were doing, uh, uh, Base to Space, which is the stair climb up uh, uh, Seattle, Space, space Needle. Yeah. yeah, so we started sponsoring that, and again, you know, what... The is that why the Space Dust IPA? No, no, not at all. That was a that was a whole different tangent. All right. Yeah, you need about a half an hour for that whole story. No. It's, it's pretty <laughs> funny, though. Okay. <laughs> um but so, you know, base to space sounded good because what better way to finish climbing up the Space Needle than to have a beer, right? So, you know, there, there, were, there were some of those things that just seemed kind of fun. Um, and then as it, as it got a little further and we were actually able to contribute money and raise more, um, you start weeding out charities that make more of a difference than others. You know, where administrative costs may be really high for some groups and others, um, you know, a lot more go straight towards the, um, you know, uh, group that you're trying to raise money for. Sure, right. the constituents. Yeah, Fred Hutch was one of those groups. And and then uh, lately it's been a big thing uh, because of loss of uh, funding. You know, federal funding has been drying up a little bit for a lot of these things. And so, you know, they, uh, it's a little harder for them to do the good that they do. So we're more than happy to actually step in. Last year, uh, we made them the beneficiary for a great pumpkin beer festival that we do here at uh, uh, Seattle Center. Fisher too. Pavilion, yeah, yeah, and uh, we had seven thousand people through, yeah. and we raised one hundred and twenty-five thousand for. It doesn't rain year. indoors, I hear. That's what's cool about it. When you're drinking enough beer, it kind of doesn't matter. Either. I guess so. That's true. I remember the two years ago; it was a little wet and a little two damp. years was wet, wet and windy, and it was it was something else. Yeah, but to, but the, the beer crowd are uh, intrepid and uh, robust. Uh, nobody northwesterner. That's right. Everybody stayed. I love it. So um, Fred Hutch, obviously, they are huge for the Seattle industry and Mm -hmm. and known throughout the country and the world, actually, for their research. Um, Is Fred Hutch your sole charity that you work with? No. So Fred Hutch is the uh, beneficiary for Pumpkin Beer Festival, uh, Search Party, which is the other festival we we do in uh, July, uh, in the summer. That's more uh, music-based, live shows. Uh, Vera Project. Oh, is, yeah. Is that yeah. Seattle Center 2? Yeah, Seattle Center place? 2. Yeah. I like the layout there. Yeah. I'm really kind of like the logistics are cool. It feels kind of good. Shadow with a Space Needle. Got some feels, grass there. Feels like us. Summer. I know Lindsey Kirsch was uh, yeah. back here telling me about that last year. Yeah. Uh, Lindsey Kirsch, rainy as it is now. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, Vera Project is who we use there. Uh, Vera Project um, basically puts uh, kids 
um, into programs involved with music and music production and, and the arts. Like rapping? Wait, like scratching? Everything. Everything. So from rock bands to DJs to uh, music production to marketing and music to live performance. It's great. How about Didgeridoo? If you'd like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So fun. Now, do you have a special beer or is this basically coming out of the 1% of the proceeds or or do you have a special fund? No. So uh, like uh, Bluteride, we've we've done beers for those specific events, but for Great Pumpkin Beer Festival, um, at one hundred twenty-five thousand was everything. Like we just gave them all the all the money. Okay, you know, you know, you know, at the end, um, and then twentieth uh, anniversary party too. You know, the same same thing. It is, you know, I don't think, you know, the portion of the proceeds piece gets a little watered down sometimes. Sure, I just rather it be. Um, Here it is. You know, we're gonna we're gonna fund paying for this side of the costs, and then everything else is all yours. I like. We're it. not gonna do math. So, can you make a beer problem. called Obliterate? Uh, probably could. The hardest thing with beer right, right now is actually naming beers. Is it? There's so many beers out there that when you do you know trademark uh, search, it's a, it's amazing. Somebody's used those beers at some point. I got one. We've we've done <laughs> 500 beers over the past what 23 years. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Now, do you trademark those names? As many as we could, but, but you mean, have to do them every seven. You have to have product out every five. They've got to be out in the trade, yeah. right? And so, you know, a lot of those have fallen away and gone. But yeah, it's it's a it's a lot coming up with names. Uh, it's bet. really tough. Oh, well, it sounds like a fun endeavor. Um, I've, and, and there must be a database now because you can go to the trademark database and plug it in. Uh, it's it's, it's called Google. Oh, it's called- <laughs> <laughs> you just Google it and see who pops up, and that's going to give you the best idea. Sure. Right? Well, pretty exciting. Uh, what's uh, what's in the hopper, if we would, if what's we could? What's in the hopper next? Yeah. Uh, so Split Shot is running right now. We're going into super fuzz season. I've got Hawaiian Sunburn rolling back out, which is a pineapple habanero sour. What? Uh, yeah, because I'm kind of fun stuff. Uh, we're starting to try to play with some friends. Uh, uh, brewing some inter- interesting stuff too. So I have okay. some have some out of out of state brewers and cider makers who are going to be playing and doing some right. things with. Where's production facility? Uh, Georgetown. So actually next to Georgetown Brewery. Uh, so airport in Lucille is where our plan Lucille. is. And Manny's got his brewery uh-huh. right about a block and a half away from us. Wow, just like the old days. Yeah, huh? it's cool. No, it's cool. Dr. It's awesome. Pepper and Rainier. Was it that was down there? Rainier. Uh, Rainier Brewery. We're actually our uh, headquarters. Seattle is, Brewing. I think it was yeah. called back then. Our uh, head, headquarters is across the street from uh, uh, Smart, Smarty Pants, and that's where um, uh, the original uh, headquarters for Rainer Brewery was from the 1800s. Wow. Yeah, so it's cool. There's a cool book out there, and I can't remember who wrote it, but he did a history um, and it, about all the breweries that were actually in Washington State from yeah, the early or late, the mid-1800s, uh, yeah. and you'd be blown away how many there were. And it's the rise and fall, the the get rich and then crash kind of thing, because they, they grew too big or they came out of favor or they burned down yeah. and everything was made in wood. I actually like what's going on here now. Like a lot of the smaller nanos, you know, and the smaller, like under 10,000 barrel breweries, um, tap room only, they're doing some amazing stuff. You know, and I think I I think that kind of choice and that you know that uh, you know kind of feels grassroots again. Well, it certainly yeah, feels, feels good. 
uh, it smells grassy because I know that, you know, the, the hop thing. The hop thing. Yeah. It, it, hop is, um, it's like sugar, I think. We love sugar as a child. Sure. And, and, but then at some point, like, okay, I like dark chocolate a little more. And I think, th- to me, I'm waiting for that ceiling of the hop hoppiness level, the IPA craze to sort of subside. I don't see that happening. A little bit already. Like, I mean, people are starting to experiment. Like, the you know, the sessionable beers have sort of risen and people are going into those. But also farmhouse beers. Saison's beers right. are a little more esoteric. They're in the mid-weight range, but there's a little bit of funk. You know? Funk. Yeah. Lagers, too. I think lagers... Um, there's you know, a purity to that, which really is delicious is and refreshing. That, but there's that, but then also, like, for craft brewers, we always would do ales. Yeah. And we'd experiment with every adjunct in the book. And when we would do a lager, we'd have to go back to the old laws, right? And, uh, you know, a lager body is kind of a nicer place to do those adjuncts in. So, like, I, I want to try the cold-pressed coffee in a lager body. Maybe that blonde coffee that... Like uh, Dor- Dortmund or something else like that. Yeah, totally. So, so fun. Yeah. So, uh, you have any events coming up that, that around the corner that people can get involved with that sort of do the charity deal? So, the next big one that we have, uh, big one is going to be the uh, search party, which is going to be July at right. uh, Seattle Center. Other than that, kind of every other month up at the Capitol Hill Brewery, we relaunch a uh, Capitol Hill series. So, an experimental beer we've been screwing around with. Uh, and we try to have a live band play there. Awesome. So you could go on our website at ElysiumBrewing.com, and it'll show a list of those bands and those beers. So, we're so cool. Release. Yeah, well, what fun. a treat. I got to meet all awesome. three of the founders finally. Joe Pisaka, co-founder, tri-founder of uh, Elysium <laughs> Brewing. Thank you much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio and for all you do for our community. Appreciate it. You bet. Hey, folks, uh, stick around. I got my old pal David LeClaire back in the house. You've got some really fun events coming up that I want to share with you. So stick around. We'll be right back here on 570 KVI. Big names, big news. Sean Hannity, weekdays 3 to 6 p.m. Talk Radio 570, KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle, Somalia, Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle, we're having a great Saturday night. Time for our fourth and final segment, and my old pal David LeClaire is back in the house. Hey, David, welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Hey, good to be back. Yeah, it's been like a whole week, <laughs> almost. Uh, I know you've got the super cool uh, Northwest Women Stars of Food and Wine, NW... What's that website again? Oh, it's coming up February 11th, Sunday, 1 to 5 at Columbia Tower Club. Uh, com, Or you can just go to seattleandcork.com and get more information. Yeah, That's, that's going to be a really fun event. You've got 25 uh, women chefs uh, and pastry chefs included. Uh, you've got 25 winemakers who are all women. And then you have some sommeliers as well, which is really exciting because uh, you can do, do some blind tasting. You've got uh, 25 different food stations and 25 wine stations. That's, that's an amazing event. It's going to be all women, supporting women. So it's also for the Women's Funding Alliance, which... Uh, supports a variety of women's causes in the Northwest in Washington State here. So it's a women power event. There'll be a lot of women, a great day out for the gals, but also for smart single guys. 
That's right, guys. I mean, who doesn't want a woman who can knows how to a partner, I should say, that knows how to cook, is into wine and cocktails and beer and cider? Because you'll have some other vendors there as well. That's correct. And then, of course, the sommelier who can uh, teach you the ins and outs of blind tasting. Uh, so fun! Sunday, February eleventh, over the Columbia Tower Club. I will be there. Excited about that. But you also have um, some wine walks coming up and a big event in March. Yes. Yeah, so we do actually uh, two big events in March. We have Cab Classic, which is all Washington Cabernets at the uh, Porsche dealer in Bellevue, and that's uh, eighth annual, so it's about 25 high-end uh, Cabernets. Cabernet Sauvignon. Cabernet Sauvignon. Right. So for those of you that like it big and rich and you like to, well, actually spend a little money on cab because they're the expensive <laughs> cabs, and that's 75 bucks a ticket, so it's not cheap, and that does uh, fund a, another local nonprofit called uh, Talk It Up TV. And then a couple weeks later, we have kind of the opposite because that's really the established wineries that are doing these high-end cabs. Two weeks later, we have what's called Debuts and Discoveries, and Debuts is really all the new players. So it's uh, new wineries, new breweries, new distilleries, new ciders. And in the past, you always had to be brand spanking new out of the chute to be able to participate. But we've loosened it up a little bit so that people that are doing something like a new product can actually be there. So, for example, yeah, what's new? You know, Legion Split Shot. That is delicious, by the way. You know, that's a new product. So if they wanted to be there, they could as well. So it's really what's new on the frontier for wine, beer, uh, cider, and spirits. All right. So debuts and discoveries. And I know Coral Wines participated. Really fun event. It's out at Magnolia, the Hangers in Mag. Wait, no, yeah, Magnuson. Sorry. Yep, Magnuson Park. Park at Hangar 30. So it's free parking if you get out there, and uh, you probably can get a shuttle bus, too. I'm sure they got some bus lines going out there. But a peculiar date. I'm looking at the state. I'm wondering. It's uh, Saturday, March 17th. So wear something green. <laughs> You know, it's kind of funny because normally I avoid at all costs going to anything that's a St. Patrick's Day event. Because well, at least at an Irish bar. Right. You might go to the Yen War. Because <laughs> right. it's debauchery. But this will be for people that really want to stay away from the St. Patrick's bars, uh, but really, you know, prefer to do something a little bit more adult without getting completely blasted. Uh, so it is a, it's a fun event, and there's a lot to discover, a lot to try. So it's something for everyone, whether you like spirits, wine, beer, or cider. Excellent. So, of course, the women Northwest Women's Stars of Food and Wine, Sunday, February 11th. You've got mm-hmm. the Cab Classic, the Cabernet Sauvignon Classic at the Porch, Porsche Bellevue dealership in, what's the, that date? That is March 3rd. March so 3rd. So, 3-3. Three, three. All mm-hmm. right. Um, I'll be at Vin Expo in New York, so I'll miss that one. Uh, but Debuts and Discoveries is on St. Patty's Day, Saturday, uh, March 17th. So, really, you could probably go do the St. Patty's Day Dash mm-hmm. and then head out and uh, do that thing and then come out to Magnuson Park uh, over... Uh, yeah, what's that area called? Laurelhurst or just? Well, it's the old Sandpoint Naval Station. Yeah. So it is. I don't know if it's Past really Laurelhurst. Laurelhurst, but it's right up the Sandpoint. Right up the way. Yes, Sandpoint. Hey, but wow. just make sure if you're coming from the dash to uh, maybe change clothes or <laughs> between. Uh, you never know the weather, right? But this is indoors, and it's a huge space. How many vendors will you have? Oh, it'll be about 30 vendors, and that place can handle about 2,000 people, but it won't be that big, so we try not to overcrowd it. So I'd expect it to be about 1,000 thousand people and about 30 different vendors, and it goes all afternoon. So it's it's a, well, not all afternoon, but it's a four-hour event. So 5 to 9, yeah, 5 p.m. to 9 p.m., yeah. and it's 7400 Sandpoint Way, so it's really easy to get to. You just got to drive for a little bit. Uh, and, of course, it's a, it's a great park, so you get there early. Enjoy the park if it's a nice day, and then head inside and taste uh, all the new products. So you've got cideries, breweries, uh, and distilleries. Yep, and uh, of course a lot of wine as well. So uh-huh. food. Uh, there's going to be uh, three food trucks that are all from Bon Appetit, and so they will be there uh, selling food, and then also uh, there'll be the 
uh, Carolina Smoke. Which, uh, you, you got to love that. I do love uh, that. That's good barbecue. I remember tasting that at the Holiday Wine Fest last year. So, three events, uh, Northwest Women's Stars of Food and Wine, the Cab Classic in Bellevue on March 3rd, and, of course, Saturday, March 17th. Debuts and Discoveries. Tickets available at? SeattleAndCork.com. That's awesome. Hey, David LeClaire, uh, congratulations on all these events. Thanks for hosting, and good to see you. I appreciate your time here on Happy Hour Radio. Thanks for having me. Hey, folks, uh, I look forward to seeing you at the Women of All Stars, Women's Stars of Food and Wine. It's Sunday, February 11th at the Columbia Tower Club, and I'll be out at the Debuts and Discoveries as well. Uh, hope you have a great Saturday night. Uh, tell your friends about happyhourradio.net, um, and remember, life's always better with a designated driver. Cheers!